uh, Kevin Williams is coming up. Come on up, Kev. Preach to us. Um, I do want to say this about Kevin. He is a trustee. He's on our board here at the church. So he's a trustee. Uh, he has the qualities of an elder. Elders has to be one who can teach and instruct. You hear him a lot on Wednesday nights. Uh, and so I wanted to give him a chance. And I knew what my week was like. And his week was a little busy too. But I wanted to allow him the chance to share what God's been laying on his heart. Right? And connect, maybe connect some dots of what he's been saying on Wednesday night. Uh, but I love this guy. He's one half of DK's. Right? Our, our, our barbecue joint. He's got more hair than I got. That's about all I can say about that. But uh, I'm glad to have him. But I just want you to know he's a board member. He's a trustee of this church. He does a lot at this church. He plays guitar. He fixes stuff. He fixes commodes. But he fixes commodes. It's those children's church and youth plug up. You know what I'm saying? That kind of stuff. I mean, he's that guy, right? He's one of those that, that does whatever has to be done. And we're thankful and honored to have you at Living Faith Church. We're glad you're here. God bless you. Am I, am I on? Yeah, I can tell. I'm on. I'm on. Hey, so just down there, I was thinking, man, I love to worship. But I particularly love to worship living faith. There is a heart of worship here that you can find nowhere else. I mean, how many know you're redeemed? How many know you're restored? We need to be reminded that God is good, that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights in whom there's no variableness or shadow of turning. Man, that's exciting. It's really exciting. Normally, the last time I was up here, I I think I sniffed the whole sermon. I think my nose ran the whole time, so I've got me a little something, something. I'd like to think that I learn as I go through life, but maybe I do, maybe I don't. So I told some friends uh, at work, I say, okay, um, I've been asked to speak on the 30th, and um, they, they listen to uh, virtually all the podcasts. They love, they love the sermons that come out of this church because they're anointed, <laughs> by the way. And uh, one particular friend, uh, his name is Dustin Redman, said to me, he said, it's important that, that you speak there once in a while. And I said, oh, yeah? He said, the body needs to be reminded of how good they have it when Mark and Don preach. <laughs> So I, just thought, I promised him that I was going to share that story with all of you. And so if nothing else today, this is your reminder of how blessed we are with the pastors we have in this church. We are truly, truly blessed. Nevertheless, I do have on my heart what I believe is from God. Matter of fact, I know it is. And so I'm going to, um, I'm going to start out with, uh, we're going to, before the... The morning's over. We're going to read all of Second Kings chapter 5. And we might go through it twice. But, um, and, and you'll see why. Um, some other feedback that I've gotten from those who listen uh, to the sermons from this church are that they love the fact that we are very interactive, that the body is engaged in the sermon. They hear, they hear the amens and sometimes the funny comments and... So I decided, um, I felt like in my heart that I needed to put that interaction on steroids. So in, in a lot of ways, we're going to preach together. Okay? We're going to do this together. So that means you've got to stay with me. You've got to stay off your phone. You can't, be me- you can't be messing around and doing other things because I need you to interact. And if that's not enough motivation, I'm going to give you two little hints. Don Cosson is in this message twice. 
He's in this message two times. And so when, if, if you miss Don Costin coming out in the message, you're going to be disappointed. And Don, I'm sorry you're not here, man. It's on you. All right. If you'll turn with me to 2 Kings uh, chapter 5. And I'm going to read, oh heck, verse 14 anyway. Oh, she's got it up there. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, everybody say man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes He sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in all of Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you will be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Yabana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned, went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down, dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your anointing. I pray, Father, that we would hide your word in our hearts, that the name of Jesus would be lifted up above every other name. God, I pray your uh, you would move in hearts this morning, that our lives would be changed, that we would forever be different, that our mess <laughs> could be cleaned up by you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The title of this morning's sermon, uh, sermon is, What a Mess. What a Mess. How many of you are messy? I got a couple of hands, two people, two people are honest. It depends on the day. So I'll break it down a little bit more. By a show of hands, 
How many of you clean up as you go and everything stays pristine all the time? Bob Douglas says all my stuff is on point. Dave, I know David is. I've been to David's apartment. He's always disinfecting, bro. Always. He, you guys know that he, he disinfects the doors of this church every single morning. He comes in here and wipes this place down every day. Pre-COVID, COVID, past COVID. Y'all know he does that? David, God bless you, man. You're awesome. You're awesome. I don't think people know that. we got some amazing people here. Amen. So, back, get me back on track here. So, who likes to get, who gets things kind of organized and put together just like you like it? And then, and then you get back into life and life starts to happen and one thing leads to another and you got a mess and you got to say, time out. I got to go back and clean this up and start all over again. That's me. That's me. Like periodically, I just got to call time out. Don't nobody bother me. I'm out of control. My stuff looks like that. So how many of you think there's nothing wrong with that graphic? That is completely normal. That is, if my son were here today, he'd be like, what's wrong with that, dad? I, I know where everything's at. Yeah. But we have our messes. So here we have a story about a general, a man of valor, a man who is highly looked upon uh, in Syria. He's the commander-in-chief of all the armies in Syria. He's the trusted agent of the king. And if, if we was to go back into 1 Kings, we could read about uh, King Ahab. And now his evil wife, Jezebel. How many of you know Jezebel is evil? She's, she's mentioned in uh, Revelation. She's so evil. And, and Ahab says, he, meets, he runs to this guy named Naboth who's got this vineyard. And he says to Naboth, hey, um, I'd really like to buy your vineyard. I'll, I'll give you what, you, what it's worth. Um, I'll even, if you don't want money, I'll trade you for, for some land I got. I'd really like to have a garden in this vineyard. And Naboth says, I'm sorry, man, it's in my family. My family would be, they would be tore up if I sold this vineyard. This, this has got to stay with my peeps. So Naboth, the Bible tells us that Naboth goes all home and he's all dejected. And, and Jezebel says, why, why the long face? <laughs> he says, I really wanted Naboth's vineyard. And uh, he wouldn't sell it to me. And Jezebel being the evil and whatever evil name you come up with, I'll... I'll I'll stay away from the adjectives. That she is, says, um, you're the king of Israel. What do you mean you can't have the vineyard? And so she, she puts together some scheming, and, and uh, next thing you know, some people are making public accusations against Naboth, and, uh, and before you know it, he ends up stoned to death, and uh, Ahab's got him a new vineyard. Prophet comes to Naboth later and says, um, you'll be killed in battle for this one, Jack. <laughs> You'll be killed, and the dogs are going to lick up your blood. So he had to live with that, right? So we fast forward to a particular battle, and sure enough, man, uh, Ahab catches an arrow, catches it right through his armor. I, I think about that armor, it find, uh, that arrow, and it finds its way into that armor. I kind of equate it to the stone that found Goliath's head. Because God already said it was going to happen, right? <laughs> So this arrow pierces his armor, and just like the prophet said, Ahab died, and the dogs licked up his blood. Well, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but Jewish legend says, and the historian Josephus tells us, that the flinger of said arrow was none other than Naaman. 
find that interesting. <laughs> so most, most believe, I don't know, and the Bible doesn't say, it's not that important, but most believe that Naaman was the guy that launched said arrow to put Ahab down. So Syria won that battle, you should know. So you think, you think he was uh, appreciated in Syria? You think he was uh, revered, to say the least? Sure he was. He had a title. He was a general. He was revered. Yet, now we know he's a leper. The general became a leper. The commander-in-chief of all the armies became a leper. The trusted agent of the king became a leper. Huh. So, but, but not just Naaman. I feel like all the characters of this story have a lesson for us. And there, there are several lessons in this story. It is by far one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And I find myself reading it over and over. And uh, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but that's okay. I've, I've got seven lessons I'd like to share with you this morning. And I, and I promise I won't take too long, but if I do, get over it. Uh, <laughs> I didn't mean that. Y'all know I love you. Y'all know I love you. But before that, it's time for our, our little interaction time, okay? So I'm going to read through the whole chapter again. And periodically, I'm going to stop. It's where you've got to stay with me. Periodically, I'm going to stop and I'm going to make a comment. I'm going to make a comment. I'm going to go like this. And all of you, in unison, you have to say, Oh, man, what a mess. <laughs> Are you ready? Let's just practice once before I start reading the scripture again, okay? You ready? One, two, three. That was perfect. That was perfect. If you can keep that consistency up, we're going to have a special moment here. All right. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria, which I just talked to you about. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Man, the general was a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. A little girl in Israel was carried off to be a servant in Syria. (laughs) She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel, And the king of Syria said, Go now, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive this man? Were cure me, this man of leprosy. I'm the king of Israel, and this guy. Wait a minute, put the pants down. <laughs> I'm the king of Israel, and here, and we're talking about the man who already king killed King Ahab, and lo and behold, now he's coming to me with a letter, and I got to cure him of his leprosy. So I let my hands get in the way, didn't I? Put them up, man. <laughs> oh man, what a mess. <laughs> 
I am a mess. I am a mess. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, so that he may know there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house, and, and um, your flesh will be restored and you shall be clean. No, I'm sorry. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. I was sick and I went to Don Cosson and I said, Don, I'm sick. I need help. And he said, I want you to go over to Pastor Frank's house and I want you to knock on his door. I'm sorry, I was talking to David. And David said, I want you to go over to Pastor Frank's house. And I want you to knock on the door, and I want you to do what he says. And I knock on Pastor Frank's door, and Cosson answers. And I says, where's Pastor Frank? He's not here right now, but he said to tell you to go wash in the Canal River seven times. What a mess. Not what I expected. Are not the Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near to him and said, My father, it is a great word. The prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down, dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company. And he came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please let there be given to your servant two mules, load of earth, for from now on your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes into the house of Rimmon to worship there leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon. When I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. He said to him, Go in peace. But when Naaman had gone from him a short distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared this Naaman the Syrian in not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi followed Naaman, and when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well, my master has sent me to say, There have just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. Gehazi is making up lies to get stuff. Always a mess when we start scheming with lies. (laughs) And Naaman said, Be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged him and tied up two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothing and said to them on two of his servants, and they carried them before Gehazi. And when he came to the hill, he took them from their hand and put them in the house, and he sent them away, and they departed. He went in, stood before his servant, and Elisha said to him, Where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant went nowhere. Gehazi is still lying. 
But he said to him, Did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from the presence a leper like snow. Gehazi has Naaman's leprosy. I hope that was fun. The moral of that, for the reason I want to do that is we focus on Naaman really easy, but it's really easy to see that all these people are in a mess. <laughs> and we all have our messes. We all have our stuff going on. And sometimes my mess is a result of me. Sometimes it's a result of just the work of the enemy. Sometimes it's a, it's a trickle down from a, from a mess in my family. Sometimes it's a mess from we get from each other. But there are messes everywhere. Amen. There are messes everywhere. <laughs> so are y'all ready for the lesson? Yes, lesson number one. Lesson number one. How do we get through these messes? How do we get our messes cleaned up? Lesson number one. This teaches us, especially through naming the, the little girl, the little girl especially, because to me kids are innocent, right? No one is exempt. We are all vulnerable. Amen. All of us are vulnerable to the mess. Amen. <laughs> it doesn't matter how much political clout you have, how much money you have, how many titles you have, you are vulnerable. I am vulnerable. We are vulnerable. Sometimes we find ourselves in a mess and uh, we, find that we just go around asking, how, how, how? I think God would have you to say, why? Why? What, what, what is this for, God? What would you have me to do? What would you have me to go through to grow, to be better? But what, but what do we do? What do we do? Honestly, I'll point out a character. We become uh, the king of Israel who probably felt like he was uh, exempt. I'm the king. I'm the king. I know what happened to Ahab, so I'm not going to pick a fight with Syria. But lo and behold, the letter comes to him. And so what's he doing? He's running around. Oh, my God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Oh, the king, you see, he's hit the general down here. The general just, oh, he killed Ahab with an arrow. You wouldn't believe it. Oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Maybe if I put it on Facebook, that's what I'll do. I'll tell everybody what happened to me. And I'll put it on social media. And the whole world will know what a mess I'm in. That's what I'll do. If the whole world knows what I'm a mess I'm in, it'll go away. Your complaining will not clean up your mess. It will not. Satan is... Let me tell you something. (laughs) I've been to the Union Mission with the Catalyst Men's Group. Don Costin and I used to go once a month. And there I met veterans, husbands, College graduates, fathers, employers, teachers. When evil came their way, when they bowed to evil, they became relegated to addicts and homeless, lonely, and vagrants. Which segues to lesson number two. When the mess comes, when the evil comes, 
your identity gets changed. The general, the man, the king's trusted agent, the commander-in-chief, the Bible says, but he was a leper. Lesson number two, Satan wants to change your identity. Let me tell you something. God created you as the apple of his eye to be a chosen race, a royal priesthood, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into the marvelous light. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, he is new. Old things have passed away and the new has come. That's who you are in Christ. But outside of Christ, conversely, Satan is this roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants to change your identity. He wants to change your identity. How do you identify yourself now? What is your title? (laughs) What do you see when you look in the mirror? I implore you, if your identity is not in Christ, man, it's a making for a mess. Making for a mess. Your rank, your your social status, your financial status, your popularity, your political clout, your talent, your abilities, your skills, nothing without Jesus. Nothing. It'll all burn. It'll all burn. (laughs) In Him, when our identity's in Him, it don't matter what mess comes. It don't matter because our identity is not in anything that's temporary. It's not in me. It's not in my ability. It's not in somebody else's ability. It's in Him. So let the mess come because I'm an overcomer. Let the mess come. You can be stable. You can be easy. You don't have to run around like the king of Israel. Oh, what am I going to do? You have to do it. You just settle in. Settle in and say, oh, oh boy, he wants to fight. Let's get it on. <laughs> Lesson three. Let's get it on. Are you ready to rumble? <laughs> I didn't know that was coming. <laughs> Definitely not in my notes. <laughs> Lesson number three. Obedience. The only way to clean up your mess is through obedience. Obedience to God's Word. The very first act of obedience is repentance. (laughs) It is repentance. Invite Jesus into your life. Invite Him into the situation. See what He is capable of. Like I said before, complaining uh, offers no benefit. Wars with man over spiritual things offer no benefit. (laughs) You think the little girl, just a thought, you think the little girl's life was better off when Naaman came home healed? The Bible doesn't tell us, but I don't know what I believe. You think her life was better? She worked for Naaman's wife, and Naaman comes home healed, and it started with her. It started with her. By all accounts, by all accounts, Naaman and his wife should have been her enemy. They stole her from her home and her family in Israel and drug her off to Syria. Yet she's sharing the good news. She's sharing her faith. I know a prophet. I know a man of God who is able to heal your husband of this leprosy. Man, what an amazing little girl. What an amazing little girl. Tell the good news. Sometimes we tell stories and we don't know the impact of them. You don't know. When you share your faith, you don't know where that goes. 
You think her life got better? I'm sure it did. I'm sure of it. (laughs) Should have been her enemy. Ultimately, Naaman's obedience led to his healing, right? Obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience. Lesson four, y'all still with me? See, I'm going fast. It's not going to take long. I'm not going too slow. Sometimes obedience gets messy. Sometimes obedience gets messy. Sometimes obedience demands we put down our pride and do hard things. (laughs) Sometimes obedience asks the general to bathe in the muddy Jordan. We want it to be easy. We want God to be our genie in the bottle. But He's trying to develop you. He's trying to develop me. He's trying to grow us into things. So you don't grow if you don't work. You don't grow if you don't endure. What happens if we just lay on the couch every day, all day? Do we get healthier? Do we get stronger? We don't. So we got to do hard things spiritually if we want to grow. And, and early on, what does Naaman say? Oh. Are not the Abana and the Farpar rivers far cleaner than that muddy Jordan? I mean, after all, I'm a general. I'm a number two guy in my country. <laughs> we don't know a better way to fix our mess than God. Amen. We don't. We don't have any idea how to fix our mess, but God does. Amen. So why would I try to tell Him how it's supposed to be done? Wait on the Lord. When Joshua took over from Moses, the Lord said to Joshua over and over, be courageous. He said it over and over. He said, be of good courage and he will strengthen your heart. Be strong and courageous, all you who put your hope in the Lord. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Do not turn from it from the left or to the right, that you may have good success wherever you go. Be strong. Be courageous. Do hard things. And you know what's cool about the body of Christ? We do hard things together. Because we are the body. We are the body. At the end of the day, obedience takes courage. It takes courage to do hard things. It takes courage to put your pride down when you're a general and jump in a muddy river. So it also takes humility. It takes humility and courage to be obedient. Isaiah 2.12 says, The Lord has a day in store for the proud, and they will be humbled. Don't wait on that day. (laughs) Don't wait on that day to decide, Oh, I think I'll be humble now. That's not the day. (laughs) Today is the day. Don't wait on that day. Obedience takes a man or a woman brave enough to not worry about what people think, what people say, or put on social media. Obedience takes a man or a woman humble enough to to pray and say, Jesus, please clean up my mess. Please clean up my mess. Lesson five. You don't get to define what your cleanup looks like. You don't, get to, you don't get to define what it looks like. That's not what the obedience does, right? What your healing looks like. How it happens. You don't get to tell God how to do it. 
You simply get to pray, believe, and trust that He will. That's what you get to do. Your preconceived ideas about how God is supposed to do your work, I'm going to slow down. Your preconceived ideas about how God is supposed to work in your life are hindering your faith. Hear me. They're hindering your faith because you have in your mind how it's supposed to happen. And it can't happen because the only way you're the only thing you're believing for is the way you got it in your head. It hinders your faith. Just trust God that He will. Trust Him that He will. Look what Naaman says. He says, I thought surely the man of God would come out and wave his hands over the place and I would be healed. I thought surely he would. He had his mind made up how it was supposed to happen. It hurt him. Good thing he has servants that were listening and paying attention. It's a good thing we have each other to go, hey, hey, Kevin, man, you're missing it. You're missing it, man. You've got an opportunity here. You're missing it. Right? Service like, hey, Naaman, man, what do you got to lose? <laughs> what do you got to lose, man? Take a step of faith. We traveled all the way to Syria and now you're going to go home mad? Are you kidding me? What's it hurt? Packed all this silver and gold and clothes and, and you're just going to go home mad. Man, we don't get to define how it happens. We just need to be obedient Amen. and trust God. Do what He says. Do what He says and let it happen. Let it happen. I thought surely the man of God would come out and wave His hand. Is that as relevant as anything you've ever seen or heard today? You know, Scripture is so relevant to today. When I read that, I was like, man, it's like it happened last week. (laughs) Imagine with me for a minute. Here comes your costume moment. (laughs) What is it? (laughs) <laughs> he's trying to communicate with me over there. I don't know. <laughs> it's not a good... Oh, he's imagining. Okay. If only imagine. Yeah. <laughs> imagine with me for a minute, if you will. One of you comes to me and you say, Kevin, I'm in need of a financial miracle. I'm in a bad spot, bro. And I say to you, all right. Hey, uh, the pastors are at the church. And uh, I want you to drive to 9203 Ohio Avenue, Marmette, and uh, do what they tell you. Okay. So you drive over here, and uh, they're not here. There's just only Cosson. <laughs> you don't have a single pastor here. All you got is Don Cosson. And you say, hey, Don, have you seen the pastors? And uh, he said, no, but they, they told me you were coming, and they said to tell you, if you need a financial miracle... You need to go get a job. You need to work as though it were your worship. And you need to tithe. And God said He'd take care of the rest. Y'all want me to go home now? (laughs) Think about that. That's messy. I thought surely I would drive to Living Faith Church and the pastor would wave his hand up over my head and I'd go home and there'd be a check in the mail. God is trying to grow you and develop you into something great. Amen. But you got your mind made up how it's supposed to happen. Wow. That's good. Gosh, I love you all so much. God. Hear me. Hear me. 
I thought, surely, you just put your hand on me, there'd be a huge check. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes it don't. <laughs> That's messy. Will we be obedient? Will we be obedient? <laughs> Man, I can't believe that came out. You told me to be obedient, didn't you? Lesson six. Now that your identity's changed, you're changed. And this is the one that's going to get me. <laughs> Seal, can we, can we read verse 17? I might have to turn around. There we go. He's been healed. He's not a leper anymore. His identity's been changed. Then Naaman said, If not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. For from now on your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. <laughs> Gosh, it is awesome. You see, I, I've, I, I'm a general in Syria, and I work for the king, and i got to go back there. I have responsibilities. I have duties. And when I go back there, there's going to be times where i got to go to the house of Rimmon. Is it Rimmon? Ramon? I don't know. So i got to go to the house of Rimmon. And, and, and the king, my boss, he's going to bow down there beside of me, and he's going to be leaning on my arm. And I'll have to go there. But I need you to know, and I need you to forgive me for this, I'm going to go there, but I'm not praying to Baal. I'm praying to the God of Israel. And if you would please just give me two bags of dirt. Because I need some dirt from Israel. Give me some holy ground. Give me some holy ground because I'm different. My identity's been changed. I can't pray to Baal anymore. I was a leper. I was a leper. And now I'm a general again. Now I'm the king's right hand man. Now I'm everything God created me to be. I cannot pray to Baal. And just forgive me, if the prophet will, please forgive me for going to the house of Rimmon. But I promise you, I'm going to stand on holy ground that I might be reminded. I need soil from Israel. See, I remember when I was saved. I was saved in January of 1990. And I went to a little revival in Seth. And... uh, I've, I've told the Malachi dads this. I don't know that I've ever told all of you, but the Lord told me to tell you. So I'm going to tell you. <laughs> uh, there was an altar call, and there was, wasn't a whole lot of people there. There wasn't very many people there. And everybody was at the altar praying, and I was sitting way back there somewhere in the pew by myself, barely in my 20s. And, um, man, my life was a mess. <laughs> I didn't like I was a student at Tech. I hated it. I worked at Kmart. I hated it. No offense, Bob. Uh, um, I love my parents. I love my home. But but I I didn't see me. I didn't see my life going anywhere that got me out of box two eight three Hernshaw, West Virginia two five one zero seven. I didn't know like where's my life going, man. I, all I could really focus on or find anything to do was just like figure out where the next good time is. <laughs> That's all I cared about. Me and Paula were dating. She was always fussing at me because I kept skipping class. Because <laughs> my wife don't skip class, y'all. <laughs> she, she's a rule follower. 
here's the bottom line. I was a mess. I was a mess. And then, uh, I've been raised in church my whole life, right, Jeff? <laughs> raised in church my whole life. Heard it. But just sit back there by myself, white knuckle on the pew, and God said, man, how long? How long are we going to do this? And I come up, and I come to the altar. I've heard the sinner's prayer, but I can tell you there wasn't no pastor paying any attention to me. Nobody was telling me the sinner's prayer, telling me what to say, telling me what to do. There wasn't no formula. I didn't even know what to say. All I know is I got down on my knees, and I said, God, I'm a mess. Amen. My life's a mess. <laughs> and I don't really know what else to say, but I ain't happy with nothing in my life. Nothing. Can't change my identity. I was at work after I got saved, and uh, the guy who was my supervisor at the Air Guard uh, before I got saved, I was I worked in the, the fuel shop, and um, he was my supervisor when I wasn't following Jesus. And, and I got saved, and, and later God started opening doors for me, and my attitude changed, and my work ethic changed, and my drive changed. And everything was worship. Everything was gratitude. Man, things are so different. Things are so different. Like, I wasn't perfect. I was still messing up by the numbers, but my want-tos were real different. Right. My want-tos were so much different. And so I'm working. I'm up in the dock, and I'm working on my, on my engine. I loved, man, I loved my job when I was a mechanic. And I sit up by the engine. I'm working on it, and my old boss came up to talk to me. He goes, uh, hey, Williams, you like working on engines? Alan, yes, I do. <laughs> I really do. I enjoy it. And, uh, you know, everybody tells me you're good. But when you worked for me, you wasn't that good. <laughs> <laughs> I say, you would be correct, sir. I was not very good. Jesus changed me. My identity's been changed. I'm different. I wasn't very good. (laughs) When we when we sing graves into gardens, okay, I don't know if you guys notice this or not. I'm not I'm not asking you to notice me, but the first verse of Graves into Gardens gets my attention. And we get into that first verse, and you might hear me up here. I'll go, oh, and you came along. Y'all ever heard that? Anybody ever heard that? I do it. I searched the world. It couldn't fill me. Man's empty ways and treasures that fade are never enough. Oh, but you came along. And you put me back together. You cleaned up my mess. Made me different. There's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Man, I love that song. It speaks to my heart. Lesson number seven. I'm screaming, screaming at y'all, man. I don't scream. <laughs> Paul says, ah, I, just, I beg to differ. Uh, lesson number seven. This is the last one. You can't afford to be a pretender. Can't afford to be a pretender. Uh, ESPN does these little uh, these little conversations that come up from time to time on some of the sports talk shows, and sometimes 
Um, sometimes it's in it's about a team. Sometimes it's about one particular athlete. And, and Caleb's shaking his head. He knows where I'm going. Um, they, are they contenders or pretenders? And that's the conversation. Well, they won about a few in a row, but they weren't very good early. Well, it was the matchups. It was this. It was that. I I say they're pretenders. Somebody else will say I I think I think they're contenders. Ask yourself, am I a contender or am I a pretender? Can I see, can we bring up uh, Jude? I'm going to say chapter 1, but there's only one chapter. (laughs) Verses 3 and 4. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God in sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. In and amongst all that's going on in the world, it is now more more prevalent than ever that we contend for the faith. There's no no room for pretenders anymore. See... um, we were at Camp Zoe a few years ago, and um, I'll never forget this. My favorite Camp Zoe moment, there's all these kids in the floor, and they're down on their knees, and, and I, I don't remember. I think it was like before. It was in the middle of some kind of service. But uh, Pastor Dom was talking to the kids, and he had a water bottle in his hand, and he had the, had the lid off of it. And he's walking around the kids. They're all sitting on the floor. The next thing you know, he just starts shaking that water bottle like he's crazy. And, and water's flying everywhere. It, it looked like last Sunday night's baptism. <laughs> water, I'm kidding. Water, water's going everywhere, and the kids are getting wet, and they're yelling. And then they let them settle down. And um, he said, uh, why'd the water come out of that bottle? And they said, because you were shaking it, of course. Ah, they're yelling at him. He's like, nope. And then some of them are arguing with you. Yes, it was. I saw you shake it. Nope. And somebody else said, because the lid was off of it. Nope. And they come up with one reason after another as to why the water was coming out of the bottle. And when they ran out, and he said no every time. And when they ran out of ideas, he said, water came out of that bottle because there's water in it. (laughs) Yeah. He's a little angry. (laughs) He's a little angry. Let me tell you, life's going to shake you. The cares of life are going to come at you. Temptations are going to come at you. Messes are going to arrive in your life. And whatever's inside, eventually it's coming out. It's coming out. Gehazi was a servant to Elisha. He would, have, he would have been what the Bible refers to as one of the sons of the prophets. That meant he was a student to become a prophet someday. But he was a pretender. He was a pretender. And when the right scenario aligned itself and there was gold and silver and new clothes... What was inside came out. What was inside came out. Are you a contender or a pretender? Be contenders for the faith. Be real. Be genuine. If you mess up, so what? We got each other's back. Resilient people do hard things together. If I I can get somebody from the worship team to come. That wasn't too awful long, was it? (laughs) 
I'm going to ask that uh, every head be bowed and every eye closed. And I know that I know that there's people in this place that got messes because I got mine. And um, maybe you're like I was in January 1990 and you're just, uh, you're tired of being unhappy about your mess. You know that there's only one way to get it cleaned up. You've heard what I've said to you today and you know it's true. There's only one way to clean up that mess. It's through the power of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ.